was the summer of 2005, and I had just graduated from my undergrad with studying ministry and eager to begin my first role as a youth pastor in upstate New York, eager to impress my new high school students and junior high students, we swept away for an afternoon for a picnic at a family's lake house. I had heard the old folklores and the stories about a tower with a rope at that lake house that the students would love to jump off of while hanging onto the rope and into the lake. Little did my students know that I was petrified of heights. But eager to impress them, I didn't tell them, and and we talked along the way in the church van about jumping off the tower, and I told them that I would do it right there with them. But when we got to the lake, and I saw the tower, what appeared to be a million feet tall, it took my breath away. And then the stories began to come out about the previous year's experiences. In fact, one of the students by the name of Molly came to me and with excitement was telling me a story about the year before when she jumped off the tower and panicked last minute and didn't let go of the rope and was drugged across the rocks all the way back to the tower. And as she was telling me, she finished it saying, yeah, and it was awesome. I took a big gulp and realized that I had to take the leap, and I climbed to the top of the tower and stood there for 10, maybe even 15 minutes. Eventually, the students began to chant, Terabeth, Terabeth, you can do it, you can do it. Little did they know that their young and new youth pastor was one that tended to play it safe. Play it safe in a lot of ways. And I would imagine that many of us in this room might be a lot like that. There might be some daredevils in this room. But I might imagine that there are more of us in here that like to play it safe. And sometimes I wonder this morning as we dig deep into our text, if there are times in our spiritual lives, in our faith walks, that we like to play it safe in our Christian journey. In particular, sometimes I wonder if we like to play it safe in our prayer lives. That sometimes we are unwilling or fearful or afraid to take that big, bold leap of faith in our very prayer lives and begin to play it safe instead. Before we continue and dig into our text, which is Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, I would like to pray for us. Father, we pray that in these next few moments, that as the presence of your holy and living and breathing spirit is in this place, I pray that you would call us to the edge to take that leap of faith in our prayer lives, to not play it safe, to pray bold and daring prayers. Shape us, mold us, form us, speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, our text this morning comes from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. 
after arresting him. He put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by the four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of the rest, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was also overjoyed and ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. But when she kept on insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place in the morning. There was no small commotion among the soldiers as what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. The place that we arrive in our text, Acts chapter 12, Leading up to this point, the church was on fire. In fact, it had been exciting times for the early church. The Holy Spirit had fallen fresh on the community. And God's empowering presence among the people was alive and was real. The church, the numbers to the church were being added to the people daily. They were seeing miracles, radical lifestyle changes, reckless generosity, and an incredible momentum empowered by the very spirit of the living God. No doubt then, rapid growth and such momentum would cause opposition and even persecution. You see, King Herod, the king in this text, was a king who sought constant praise and constant approval from his people. He sought out admiration and favor and at times seemed to do anything to receive favor from his people. The Jewish opposition to the Christian movement, in fact, 
was just another opportunity for King Herod to make a political move to gain favor with the Jewish community. In fact, it was during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was a week-long festival in which many Jewish people would enter into the city. A great stage, nonetheless, for King Herod to make a move, a perfect opportunity to make a political move and earn favor from the Jewish people. Of course, when all the Jewish people gathered in the city, he made a grand statement by having one of... The disciples and apostles beheaded James, which was one of the original 12. And after having James executed, he had Peter arrested. You can imagine that the situation seemed grim and hopeless and fearful. For this momentum that the church had gained... And the miracles that the church had been seeing much through their leader who had been empowered and led by the spirit, Peter, was now in prison. In fact, the scripture says that he was kept. Nothing short of grim, hopeless, troubling than to read four squads of soldiers. That's a lot of soldiers that guarded him and surrounded him as he was chained there in prison. A grim, a dark, a hopeless situation. James was dead. Peter was in prison. But the text tells us the church prayed earnestly for him. You see, this was just another opportunity for either the church to dissipate, to fall apart, for this great movement of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, to lose steam. Or it was an opportunity for the power of a church that hopes, that trusts, that relentlessly leans into and prays for the power of the Spirit to move. The all-consuming power of God to be displayed in the world. In fact, when you look at the original language of the text, we see a sharp contrast, a sharp juxtaposition between Peter was kept Peter was imprisoned. Peter was in chains. He was surrounded by soldiers. He was chained. The situation seemed hopeless, but the church prayed earnestly. The church prayed earnestly. In other words, something was bound to happen. God's purposes and God's mission in this world, this momentum would not be thwarted. And so the night before Peter was to go on trial... He was sleeping, sound asleep, in fact, between guards and chained to soldiers. And the text tells us that an angel of the Lord came and shook him by the shoulder and said, Quick, wake up. And so Peter got up still thinking he was dreaming, still thinking he was asleep. And he made his way towards soldiers and guards. And then this iron gate opens and he begins to walk in through the city. And suddenly he realized that it was not, in fact, a dream, but that a miracle had just happened. And as he approaches his way to the house, the text tells us again, he makes his way to the house where the church was still praying. It was probably the middle of the night. You would imagine that 
It would have been easy to lose hope in such a grim and dark situation to say, well, we'll just sleep it off. And when we wake up, we'll see what happens in the morning. No, but still even in the middle of the night, the church was praying earnestly. And when Peter arrived at the house, he began to knock on the door. And I love this. A servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the door. It's almost comical. And when she sees Peter, she's so excited, she slams the door in his face and runs away and goes and tells the rest of the community that is praying that Peter is at the door. They think it's a joke, and they say, no, it can't be. It must be his angel. See, because something so miraculous had happened, even though that they had been praying for something Seemingly impossible to happen. And when it happened, they were stunned, they were shocked, and thought that it couldn't be. The church prayed earnestly. And I wonder, oh, to be a fly on the wall in that prayer meeting. I wonder what exactly, when the church was praying earnestly, what were they praying about Were they praying that Peter would be cozy and comfortable in his jail cell? Were they praying that he would have fine food, chicken and rice? Were they praying that he would get a good night's sleep and that while he was in that dark and grim situation that he would have the comfort of the spirits around him? Maybe they prayed those things. But I have a feeling that they prayed for something bigger and greater. The church prayed earnestly for something to happen that would not be possible, that would be impossible without the very presence and the power, the resurrecting power of God. I believe that they prayed when they were praying earnestly together as the people of God, that the great momentum and the movement of the early church and the power of God to be displayed would not be thwarted. I believe that they prayed that lives would continue to be reconciled back to God. I believe that they prayed for the mighty hand of God to move in such a way that Peter's chains would be released. Broken. I believe that they prayed for Peter to be set free. Daring, bold, audacious prayers. Friends, what is your prayer life like? Do you pray? And if so, what are the things that you pray about? Because this morning, my heart is burdened. And sometimes I wonder if we only go to God and we only pray when we need something or when we are in trouble. Sometimes I wonder if our prayer life is more consumed with our personal comfort. Sometimes I wonder if our prayer lives and our Christian walk is more about financial and material goals or stoplights turning green or a space in the parking lot open when we're running late for a meeting. Oftentimes, I wonder if we go to God only when we want something And of course, yes, there are those times we find that we pray the most when we we are in our darkest, most painful, 
most difficult situations, but I wonder if we are missing out on an incredible prayer life with God when we only pray when we are in our darkest times or when we only pray when we need something or when we only pray when we want something for our personal gain. I wonder if we are missing out. What if we have forgotten to pray as the early church prayed when they prayed earnestly? I wonder what would happen if we learned how to pray boldly and daring prayers, not just any type of prayers, however, but kingdom prayers. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins a teaching on money and worry. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about material gain. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, but seek first. The kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. What if our prayer lives were concerned with praying for the things of the kingdom of God? What if our prayer lives were laser focused on seeking the kingdom of God? In other words, what if we obsessed over praying for the inbreaking power of the kingdom of God to infiltrate our churches, our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families. Heavenly prayers. Things that are only possible in God's prayer. You see, it is praying for the very mission of God in this world to continue, of people finding their way back to God, of knees bowing, of tongues confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, praying for the reconciliation of all people together to one another and back to God, praying for the reconciliation of races back together, praying for freedom from oppression and justice for the marginalized. Friends, what is your prayer life like? Who are you praying for? And are you praying for the impossible to become possible? For the bold kingdom aligned prayers. Author Richard Foster writes this. Radical prayer refuses to let us stay on the fringes of life's greatest issues. It dares to believe that things can be different. Its aim is the total transformation of persons, institutions, and societies. Bold, radical, and daring prayers, you see, believe in a transformation of individuals' lives, of friends' lives, and even institutions. And bold and radical prayers can have many different layers to them, It can be bold prayers for ourselves, for our own lives. It can be bold prayers for others and bold prayers for the church. Let's first take a look at bold prayers for myself. You see, before maybe we can begin praying the bold and daring prayers for others, maybe first God needs to do a work in our own lives. Pastor Bill Hybels describes five very dangerous and bold prayers that we as Christians can be praying on a daily basis. They are, search me, break me, stretch me, lead me, and use me. 
Number one, search me. This is the prayer that the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, 23, when he said, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. A search me prayer is coming before God and saying, Lord, search me in and out. Find anything in my life that might be a hindrance, that might be getting in the way from this faith journey, that might be holding me down or holding me back. Search me for any hardness in my heart. Search me for any callousness or pride. Search me and find it and reveal it to me. When we pray, search me, God, for anything that displeases him, he will search us. And he will reveal it. The second prayer that we can pray is break me. When we pray this dangerous prayer, we are praying that God would break down, tear down, soften, or mold. It might be an addiction or pride or selfishness. It might be discouragement, insensitivity. But whatever it might be, we are praying for God to literally break down or tear down anything in our life that needs to be broken, which is sometimes an incredible painful process. It is going through the refiner's fire of being molded and shaped and broken. The third prayer that we can pray for ourselves, the bold and dangerous prayer, is stretch me, God. You see, when we pray this prayer, stretch me, O God, stretch me in my marriage, stretch me in my job, stretch me in my workplace and in my career and in my family, stretch me in the ways that I serve in my congregation, we better be willing to step out of our comfort zones. And we better be willing and have the courage to walk with God in a new and fresh and bold way. The fourth prayer and dangerous and bold prayer that we can take is, lead me, God. This is the prayer that the spirit of Moses and Abraham had and the spirit of Isaiah saying, here am I, God, lead me into new territories that are unknown, into new places that I may not understand. When we are praying, lead me, we are inviting God to interrupt our lives, to unsettle our lives, to take us into new, bold, and dangerous territory. It may at times feel blind, but this is where ruthless trust and obedience comes. And when we pray, lead me, we better be willing to take the next step, which is follow, which leads us to our final prayer, use me. This prayer is similar to the prayer that the prophet Isaiah prayed when he said, Hear my Lord, send me. When we pray, use me, we are asking God to use us as a tool to further the mission of God in this world, to use our gifts and our talents for the edification of the body of Christ. Bill Hybels writes, Praying these five dangerous prayers says you mean business with God. When you prayerfully and courageously move out of your comfort zone, your spiritual life will never be the same. Search me. Break me. Stretch me. Lead me. Use me. Pray these prayers and watch what God does. So these are prayers that we can be praying for ourselves, but we can also be praying for bold prayers for others. You see, at times, 
We can get into a pattern where we are only praying for our own lives and our own spiritual journeys. But there are times and seasons that we also need to be praying for others. In fact, I would say always we should be praying for others. Peter was in chains. He was stuck. He was in an impossible situation. And sometimes when you are the one stuck and in chains, sometimes when you are in the dark and hopeless and grim, impossible situation, you need the people of God to come around you and pray for the very things that you are having difficult praying for. Because sometimes our darkness and our pain is so deep and so dark that it is difficult to even utter the prayers. And it requires the people of God to come around and pray for the powers and ways that are hindering this person to be released. Prayers for others are praying those who are chained by darkness, brokenness, and addiction. Chained by sin, chained by distraction or their own blindness. Are you praying for them? There's a reason that St. Augustine says true whole prayer is nothing but love. You see, when we live out the greatest commandment of loving our neighbors, we can't help but pray for them. Pray for their freedom. Pray for their reconciliation. Pray for their healing. Pray for their transformation. Pray for a full, free life in the Spirit. What would happen if we, the church, began to pray earnestly for our neighbors who are far from God, who are in brokenness, Or held down by strongholds and pray that they would be reconciled back to God. I believe that if we, the church, began to pray those bold and daring prayers for our neighbors, we would begin to see movement, momentum, and transformation, much like we saw in the early church. And today, I'm not talking about any prayer, but I'm talking about the type of prayers that are impossible without the power of God. Finally, we can be praying for the mission of God through the church to continue in our world. Prayers for the mission of the church. When we pray prayers for the mission of the church, we are praying for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God to continue to move forward. Not long ago, business guru Jim Collins came up with the term BHAG, which stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious, goal. This, according to Collins, is a strategic business statement, which is created to focus an organization on a single medium to long-term goal that is so audacious, that is so big, that is so outrageous that those on the outside question it. And those on the inside might even regard it as impossible. Sounds familiar. So audacious, so crazy, so seemingly impossible from the outside, yet possible. Chains fell off, doors opened, iron gates unlocked. Something regarded as impossible but became possible. Audacious. And so today, I would like to encourage us as a church and a body of Christ to begin praying big, hairy, audacious prayers. Behaps. Prayers that are so big, 
so audacious that others around us would say, oh, that's nice that you're praying that, but that's not really going to happen. Prayers that seem so impossible that people might call us crazy. You see, it's praying that our entire cul-de-sac that we live in would come to know God. It's praying that our entire work department that we work with, everyone that we rub shoulders with in our department would turn to Christ. It's praying that the 60% of the unchurched in the western suburbs would dwindle down to a 10%. It's praying things like 3,000 new believers being added to our numbers monthly or yearly. It's praying prayers that God would use ministries such as Reclaim 13 to eradicate, eradicate sex trafficking in the Chicagoland area. It is praying that God would use our youth ministry here at Christ Church of Oakbrook to completely eradicate the heroin problem that is so taking over teenagers in our suburbs. It is praying prayers like Christ Church of Oakbrook representing the banquet table of the kingdom of God, that people from every tribe and nation, that we would not be a, just another church that is segregated on Sunday mornings, but we too would look like the great banquet table, diverse, like the kingdom of God. It's praying for that marriage that seems too far gone. That others say, you know what, divorce might be the best option for you. But it's saying, no, we are going to claim the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ that can transform any heart and any mind on that marriage. And we are going to pray for reconciliation. It's praying that in our post-Christian culture that the church would daringly and boldly walk into the future, shining their light so that the world may know. That Jesus is king. Big, hairy, audacious prayers. Friends, what is your prayer life like? Let's pray. Lord, forgive us. We like to play it safe. We get comfortable. But Lord, I pray that you would put a fervor and a fire in our hearts to lean into the power of God and believe the impossible can become possible because our God reigns. Help us to pray big, bold, audacious prayers for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God to continue. May we be a people known for prayers, bold prayers. It's in your name we pray. Amen.